Welcome everybody back once again is the Seattle Sports Union podcast and we're doing something a little bit special. We're going across the pond and grabbing two of our favorite soccer, maybe you call it football, experts in the Swans cast guys. That's Luke and Lee. How are you guys doing? Yeah, doing, doing great, thanks. Excellent. Yeah, and uh, newly expectant father? Um. Well, was expecting. Now, 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 having your newly having father, congratulations! uh, A week and a half, two weeks at this point. So, yeah, excellent. Now, that's earlier than was expected. Yes. So we planned this to be before the baby came, but uh, the baby decided to come early. (laughs) So, yeah, it's all good. Uh, Boy, girl, what's their name? Uh, Boy, and his name is Ronnie. Ronnie, named after anybody in particular. Yeah, my pa- my partner's uh, granddad who recently passed away earlier on this year. So yes. that was a bit of a excellent. Uh, Rich Rich has so many children now that he just starts numbering them at this point. Uh, yeah, pretty much. You, the fourth hey, one. Come on over here. I need some help. <laughs> I haven't uh, I haven't taken the plunge yet, so I'm uh, enjoying the freedom while it lasts. Yeah, enjoy your freedom because uh, <laughs> for the next eighteen years, Luke. Yep, you're in. Uh, <laughs> you're on constant, uh, uh, constant uh, baby patrol, even when they're like eighteen and nineteen. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely going to be a juggling act, I think, now with all these, uh, you know, trying to carry on the content and all that sort of stuff. But we'll find a way. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and get to it. Uh, last time we talked to you guys, we were uh, discussing Jordan Morris making his debut over in Wales in what is it called? The Championship League? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's the second uh well, that would be the second tier. Uh most most people are familiar with the Premier League, which is the top level, top of shelf. Um, and this would be the league that feeds into it via the promotion relegation system. And you guys had an opportunity to make a run. There were some big big names thrown out there. Jordan Morris, as I said, for all of us Sounder fans, is the biggest. And uh uh Rich and I are wearing the jer- his jersey, by the way. Um uh the, the Problem there is he done got injured. And what did I say on this very podcast? I said, Luke, Lee, if he gets injured, we're calling you up and we're going to figure out uh, who's to blame here. Uh, no one to blame. The song, guys are just going to leave it there. <laughs> it was us. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, we're uh, obviously no one to blame. The, uh, another knee injury. Uh, was that for you guys? Was that a big uh, was that a big blow or was he? Uh, type of person that if anything if he gave you anything that was that was great like is was he counted on to make help you make a run it was definitely a blow um he we we needed a striker in january and as much as from what i understand he's not an out and out striker he can do maybe on the wing maybe up top um his pace was the 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 different thing about him that we didn't necessarily have in the team that's what we were kind of investing in to make a difference for the second half of the season. We needed goals. We didn't have that much creativity going into the second half. And he came in and he looked like a spark that could have really like added that extra to finish the season off. Because we were we were doing really well at that point. We were challenging for potentially winning the league, at least second place. Um, he'd been brought on in a couple of substitute support, uh, appearances. And then the one game where he came on a half time, it looked like he was just about getting up to full match fitness. Obviously he didn't have a preseason because of the timings with the different leagues. And yeah, he goes and uh, and it was a disgusting injury to be honest, to watch. It was just, you just, it just, as soon as he went down, you knew and it was awful. And oh, um, 
yeah one yeah, of the one of the tv station one of the tv stations was asking for uh video of that and i had i had listened to your uh your podcast and um now, Mike, it sounds like we don't want that. I'd rather not watch uh, yeah. how that it was, it was so It was so unlucky as well. I mean, it was like no contact with any other player. It was just on the ball and just happened to sort of try to trap the ball and slipped off it. And it was just a complete freak accident. I mean, you could try that a hundred times again and it, w- it would never happen. And like, as Luke said, it was such a shame because he was definitely what we needed at that point. As Luke said, we would, he was definitely sort of growing into the squad. And at that point, he'd come on at half time. And I think no doubt then the game after he would have been starting because he'd sort of worked his way in. Yeah. And then it was just such a shame the timing with it because I would have loved to have seen what where we could have gone with him being fully fit for the rest of the season. Yeah, the yeah. team had done fantastic up to that point. And it got to the point where everyone gets in a season where we started getting into our sticky patch. Yeah. So everyone had worked out how we were playing. We were struggling to sort of uh, control games to get goals. And this game in particular, we, we ended up losing it 4-1. So we came on at half time to make a difference. And if we were able to start him in the next match after, then that maybe would be the different thing that people don't know him. People don't know how we we're going to play with him and what could have happened after. Who knows? You know, it might have been different, but we didn't have any other forwards then because there was two others on the sidelines at the time. So mm. we had Andre Ayew and Jamal Lowe up front. They could not get into games. We needed Morris to come on and his pace, like I said, would have been massive and yeah, it just couldn't have happened at a worse, uh, worse point. And I really felt bad for him, to be honest, because it felt like such a dream move for him. Maybe last chance saloon, which maybe you can touch on more about. Um, and it's another horrendous injury, which he's already gone through once before. You can't really make it up. Like You've got to feel for him. So I was curious. Um, I read, you know, the... The, the manager's comments that he was gutted for, for Morris and, and whatnot. Um, I guess how, what was the reaction like in the local press when, when that injury happened? And then obviously it was announced that he was out for the, the rest of the season with a, a, you know, a torn ACL and would be going back to Seattle. Golly, you can take us. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's, it sort of mirrored what, what all the fans are feeling as well. It was just, it was just such a shame um, because I think what we'd seen of him up to that point as well was just excitement. Like we'd seen his pace. I mean, he come on against Norwich and should have had a penalty. And it was just, I think there was a, there was a buzz generating with the fan base. And I think that was just echoed then in the press. It was when he did go off injured, we were sort of fingers crossed that it was going to be, you know, just a short term thing. And even we'd get him in, you know, five or six games time. And yeah, it was definitely the same in the press, like in the papers and on social media, everybody was just absolutely gutted to see him, uh, so to see him uh, out for the rest of the season. So I know that uh, your head coach left or quit or was forced to quit. Whatever. I, <laughs> was this just a season of uh, unfulfilled promises? Then uh, what led? Uh, I wrote it down here, Steve Cooper. What led to his either dismissal or resignation? Okay, so this is a long. Uh, could be a long <laughs> line of list of things. Um, I, got, I, got my, got, I think you've got to separate yeah. though the season and him leaving, they are different. The reasons that his leaving has happened might be a result of things that happened in the season, but it would never have happened before the end. And I still don't think it would have happened had we won the playoffs or, you know, things like Morris's injury didn't happen, a couple of other things. And we managed to maintain our form and stay in the top two and we would have gone up that way. Um, But ultimately, we had a different uh, director of football or like uh, chairman, if you like, under the owners now. So the, the owners are obviously, you know, the, um, Steve and 
JSON, um, they don't really do much, especially now because of COVID, they're not really down here. You don't really see or hear from them that often. So they've got someone under them now. They did have someone called Trevor Birch. He did a very, very good job and he stabilized a lot of things. He brought Cooper in. He was very vocal, communicating with the fans and I think everyone appreciated that. Um, but he then left because because he's done such a good job. He's actually doing a, a job for the English Football League. Now. That is right, isn't he? He's, that's what he is, Lee. He's, yeah. he's like chairman or something in the English Football League, so not even just a club now. Um, he got replaced by Julian Winter, <clears throat> but the relationship's never been the same. Whereas Trevor Birch would always have the bad news, but deliver it in a way you kind of got everyone on board, understanding why we need to do it. For example, we drop the category of our training facilities, not training, youth facilities, sorry, we had to drop the category down. Like everyone was gutted about that, but he just communicated it in a way that you understood why it was necessary. Winter doesn't do it. He just, he hardly talks. And then when he does need to do something, it just happens and there's no communication till afterwards. And then he tries to justify it. And that's the big difference there. So the one key example was like the first week or two after Winter comes in. Um, Steve Cooper plays a player who was out on loan last season called um, Christopher Patterson. It looked like he was going to be involved in the squad. We needed wingers. Um, he was going to give him another go. He didn't quite... We signed him last year. We couldn't quite fit into the team. Had a bit of a, a struggle. But he, tr- he tried him again. He wanted to keep him. He wanted to make him part of the plans. Next thing you know, he plays him in a friendly. And like the day after or two days after, he's sold. So Steve Cooper is actually quite vocal about this and said, you know, he had nothing to do with the sale. He didn't know it was going to happen. He's very unhappy that that was the case. So that one of the early signs that it wasn't all rosy. So from our understanding, that relationship, well, it never built. There was never a relationship between those two. Um, You get to January transfer window. And as much as we signed Jordan Morris and Paul Ariola. We never really signed an out-and-out striker, which is what he wanted. We needed one. We, we played half a season at this point with that one. He wanted a striker. They never got him a striker. Um, bearing in mind, they never got him one in the summer before as well. So that's why it was so important to get one in January. Um, I was going to ask about that. So you had Ayu, who is yeah. kind of a tween. He's more of a like a second forward playmaker, yeah. kind of a 10 attacking midfielder. Yeah, his best position is on the wing. Right, and so, then Ayu, or not Ayu, uh, Jamal Lowe, is that right? Yeah, 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 Jamal Lowe. He's more of a stretch the field, not a not a classic center forward, right? Yeah. Really no, needs so to hold the ball he, up. He got asked to play center forward by Steve Cooper this season because we didn't have one, but he's a, he's ultimately a winger as well. So Lowe will be on the left and Ayu will be on the right. Ayu's strength is cutting in from the wing in the inside and then shooting I don't know, um, Iron Robin, if you've ever heard of him. Mm-hmm. Kind of similar to what he does. Cuts in and shoots with his yeah. his left foot and tries to curl one in. That's what I use strength is. Um, and pulling people out wide. So yeah, those two playing up top, that's not their natural position. Anyway, no. so there's that. And then the other thing is, obviously last summer, every summer since we got relegated, we sell one or two key players. Last season was Joe Rodon, a centre-back we sold to Tottenham Hotspur. You might have seen him playing for Wales in the Euros. Mm-hmm. But... Um, everyone thought that we sold him very cheaply for what we could have got for him as well, based on other players, same position, same sort of age, uh, homegrown status and all the rest of it. Uh, so people were quite annoyed about that. I believe Cooper, the same. Um, the club tried justifying it, saying it sorted our problems out for this year. We got what we needed, whatever. But everyone was like, okay, fair, but you could have got more. And then, you know, maybe you could have actually signed someone as well. Like, do you know what I mean? But 
Tottenham are always the, the club that always gets the best uh, bargaining. I think um, Daniel Levy is quite good at that sort of thing. But Cooper just didn't want, it, didn't want it to happen again this year. And by all accounts, this going to, it looks like Matt Grimes is on his way out. Potentially, Conor Roberts would have been before his injury in the Euros. It means he's up till October. And I think he's just put his foot down now and been like, you know, my remit now is to get to the Premier League. I've had two playoff finishes, one in the semis, one in the final. So they're going to be expecting the next step is you've got to get there now, yeah? But they're not backing him, giving him any players. They're taking his best players off him. We lost the lone players from last season, which none of them have really been replaced. I think we've signed three players this season, but they're all youngsters or like um, not really tested yet. Or one of them has got a bad injury record, but is supposed to be quite a good player. Um, so, yes, yeah, the job's just getting harder and the expectations, you could argue, getting bigger. And I just think he said enough's enough. So he started applying for jobs after the playoffs. I think the board were not happy with that. So as a result, they got together, had a bit of a discussion, had a mutual decision that he would not stay in charge. And the weird thing is that happened two weeks before they actually let him go. So he agreed to keep training and do the friendlies until they supposedly found someone. Obviously, now three days since they've announced this, and they still haven't announced the new manager. So I have no idea what is going on. <laughs> so now and the season starts in just a week. <laughs> That's wild. So I just want to throw yep. something out there for those of you who aren't familiar. Uh, the you guys said that Steve Cooper. Uh, one of the reasons why he left was a clash uh, with somebody that was. Um, uh, I forget what the title he used. Uh, Rich, basically, it's the general manager, right? The director is equivalent to that yeah the so director like the, equivalent to the the general manager whoever's yeah. making the, the pulling the strings and making all the the decisions for player acquisition and how the how the the, the technical side of the of the organization how much uh luke and lee how much of this do you put on the ownership group uh because i know that's something that we talked about on our previous podcast with you uh is do you have uh any loss of confidence there do you uh uh, do are they pretty hands off and it's all on this uh, director uh, to make those acquisitions? I think, yeah, I think uh, I, it's quite harsh because it seems to be a trend with us. Like finances has always been an issue. We're you know we're a small club in 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 the league system. We don't have the the financial backing that that other clubs do, um, and it seems to be an easy way out for the fans to blame the owners when the results on the pitch are not going well, and then when it is going well, they don't get the credit. But um, I think since coming down as well from the Premier League, we've had to sort of um, be realistic with what finance uh, we could, we, you know, they could put into the club. Um, and I think it's a bit harsh to lay all the blame at them. Obviously, there is, you know, they, they have got to cut back. They've had to sell players. Um, I think it's just the lack of communication. Like we said, it's, they seem to just sort of put all the pressure on the general manager, as you say, and they've got to make the difficult decisions. Um, so they seem to be getting... You know, they seem to be staying away. We just want a bit of communication. I think that's why we want to know what the actual future of the club is going to be. Um, like we said, I think we hit a crossroads with with Steve Cooper where he'd done so well with limited resources and he was quite vocal about that after every after every game with his, you know, pre match, you know, press conference is, and stuff. Is, you know, uh, his post match, sorry. He yeah. was saying, um, you know, we haven't got the resources, we haven't got the resources. And I think we just want the owners to sort of come out and say, look, this is the, this is the five-year plan. This is the, you know, even if it's just, this is the three-year plan, we're not going to be putting money into the club. We have to sell players to, to balance off the books. And that's fine. I think we'd accept that, but I think it's just the, 
the fact that they have been quiet, like Luke said, we haven't seen them, haven't heard from them. So I think it is starting to sort of turn. It is starting to turn back on them now. I think we've had a good two years on the field with Cooper, and now that this has happened again, and Cooper has left and players are leaving again, I think the questions are being directed back to them now. So we're looking for a bit of communication, I think. Uh, I was going to ask, you had said that uh, a couple years ago, the previous technical director had come out and announced that your uh, youth facilities were going to be downgraded. And then you're selling like your veteran players. This, this does not sound good. Like normally, (laughs) normally like uh, a smaller club makes their bones by having a great youth academy, a great system to bring, you know, the locals in and maybe you recruit some from the surrounding area, or maybe you get even a few from, from England who come and do residency and then come up through the system and become your starters and your, your club legends. And then they get sold on for money to keep the club afloat. Like that's, that's like a, a tried and true system for the last 35 years in, in, in European football, what is going like if the money is not going to be spent on the youth then where's the what, like what's going on that doesn't yeah and this, that sounds dire yeah this is and this is what saved us when we first got relegated was that we had that backing of the of the youth system that we'd built up over the seven or eight years that we were in the top division so then when we did come down we had a good influx of players good quality young players coming into the squad and they were championship ready so we were sort of haven't really missed a trick um coming down but I think, uh, well, somebody said it right the other day. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but they said this was, if, if Grimes, our captain, gets sold, who came from the youth system as well, um, it's kind of the last stand when when he gets sold. because And there's there's a few others, maybe one or two still left in there. But once oh, they get Roberts, sold, probably. yeah, we have, now we, have, we are running out of uh, resources behind that of young players coming into the squad as well. Yeah. So it's, um, it is getting a bit worrying. The new youth that are coming through are the ones that are like need to be put in a couple of matches to get experience now. They're not ones that can come in and do a season. Like, there's there's a gap there. There's there's no one in between. We've got the new ones we are trying to blood, or the ones that have become regulars. There's nothing in between, so that's the concern if they do go. But um, in regards to the actual downgrading thing, the reasoning behind it arguably makes sense. So, apparently, to be Category 1 down to Category 2, it saves the club three, four million pounds a year. I believe. Can, can I? Can um, I ask you if you've got? Can I ask for clarification on what that means? Category one and two. Um, yeah. I was just yeah. I was going to explain a little bit more. I don't fully oh, know. Go ahead. Go ahead. If, from if, from yeah. what I understand, the downgrading they were trying. What they were saying to us is most of why we don't now fit the criteria for category one is because we've got less staff. So they save money on the staffing. To get Category 1 status, you need a certain amount of staff per players and to do all these different roles and different things. They obviously think they can still produce the talent without that necessity, but obviously having the Category 1, you argue, attracts the players to come in the first place because that's the top facility, yeah? I don't know what other um, tick boxes there are needed to be Category 1, but when we got up to the Premier League, uh, 10 years ago now or whatever it is 11 years ago um, they invested to get these standards in the training and youth facilities that's what we okay. put a lot of money into that to be sustainable over time so it was always a blow when it's like we come back down and they've lost that yeah that's that's essentially it I think 
because um, before being category one, you have um, you have your under twenty three squad, which has its own manager, which is sort of the last step before you get into the first team, and then you've got your under eighteens, under sixteens, maybe all all the way down, and they've got individual coaching teams. But I think now that we've gone down to category two, you just sort of have a, a head of a head of youth development that oversees the whole system rather than having a coaching team for each. So you cut down on the staff. And I think one of the other main um, criteria for dropping down into cat- category two is that um, you're limited on how many players you can, you can bring into the youth system from, from outside the area. I think you're limited by a radius of, of, of where they can come from. Maybe you're only allowed like X amount of players from outside a 20 mile radius or something like that. Um, there are ways around that. I mean, you know, no, the football club do find a way of bringing in in players, but that that's another one. So, you've sort of got to look at you know Swansea and the surrounding area for your for your talent rather than what we've done previously, bringing in players like like Dan James and Ollie McBurney and stuff who've gone on to Premiership clubs who have come from out like well from outside Swansea from like north of England and stuff. So that's another would, that's would another it, criteria. Of it. Would it be fair to say that the category that you were in was actually uh, you're actually punching up. I mean, you had a uh, Premier League type level system. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And then now you're yeah, cause, okay. Yeah, sorry, because they, they they set up a system as well in England where um, under twenty three squads compete in a in a cup competition that takes place between um, League One and below. So you've got Premiership and Championship, and then you've got League One and League Two. Um, and there's a competition, a cup competition, just between League One and League Two. And then there was a decision made that. If you're in the Premier League, your under-23 squad can compete in that cup. And I think um, there was a few seasons where our under-23 squad actually got quite far in that competition. Yeah. So we were definitely punching well above our weight in the do, in terms of our do you guys Do you guys uh, watch those games, or is that pretty popular? Because one of the things that surprises people in America is that we, like our college football, which would be a jun- is essentially juniors, uh, it, it outstrips... Uh, attendance the, uh, over the NFL massively. Um, do, do you guys watch the under-23s a lot, or is that just... Um, uh, yeah, it's not as much as well watch the, watch the first team, but they did start moving the them cup matches um, to, like, the Liberty Stadium, our main stadium, so that people, a lot more people did start going because it's the under-23s against, like, I don't know, Leighton Orient or what's the big team in League One? Portsmouth, maybe, someone like that. Yeah. Um, which we might play the first team might play them in the FA Cup, but um, this other cup as well, the under twenty threes can play them and give them a game and quite often win the game. Um, our youth, our youth team, was very good in the tail end of the Premier League season and the last couple of years. We've we've developed a lot of players that have come through, um, got some internationals that have come through for Wales especially, and I think, I think at the Euros actually just gone, we had quite a lot of. Uh, players at the Euros that were trained at Swansea City. When you compare against some of the bigger clubs in the Premier League, you know, we we do produce a decent amount of players, especially for the size of club. So when, yeah, it is concerning if that does slow down or gets taken away because then you start to wonder where the sustainability in a club does come from. That but, was um, some, that was something back I to your original question, yeah. not really so much anymore in terms of watching the 23s, just because of COVID and stuff. But um, right. when they're back at their training base and they play on the pitch there, some people do go down. Yeah, but it's, it's not it's not really massive. It's, okay. uh, it's free to watch as well if you go down um, to yeah. watch the 23s. And sometimes you get, you know, you do get some good games and it's free to watch. But like Luke said, not so much now, but maybe um, 
you know, three or four seasons ago when that team particularly was essentially our championship team in the last year. Yeah. You know, likes of Jay Fulton and Grimes and McBurney and Rodon and those players. They definitely started generating a buzz and as Luke said, they moved it to the main stadium and it did start getting uh, getting a bit of support. Okay. Great. Um let me kind of switch gears a little bit. Um we did talk about COVID nineteen and the impact that it had had. Um, you know, I I, I see the, the international news here or there, and I, I know that England opened up, um, but I also noticed that Scotland didn't. So Wales is its own country within the UK. <laughs> what's what's the situation on just like daily life and how that impacts the swans? And more importantly, how do you get to the games? It, can you go to the games? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we didn't actually get to any games last year until the playoffs. I wasn't able to go, but... There was fans in the playoff semi-final. How many fans was it? Was there like eight thousand? Uh, yeah, I think about eight thousand for the for the home leg of the out of playoffs. Yeah, 20, the stadium is like twenty. 20 yeah, one. Okay. Yeah, twenty-one thousand. And then Wembley, um, it might be less than eight. It might be like six. I can't remember. But Wembley, when we were in the final, it was allowed ten thousand from each team, I believe, leading yeah. up to that match. Um, yeah. But that's only two games, uh, competitive games since COVID started. That we've been able to go with Swans fans because even though I think about December time, November, December in England, they did start allowing fans into certain areas depending on the individual area and the rates in them areas. Wales didn't. They said no, like full stop. So we haven't had the chance to go really. Um, And I don't know if it's going to be no restrictions now, new season. That is, you can go, you'll be able to go. I don't think it'll be full stadiums yet though. Yeah, Correct me yeah. if I'm wrongly, but uh, oh yeah, just well going back to the playoff final, that was that was really strange because we're talking, you know, a year on from the last game that I was able to go to, and the ne- the next game was the playoff final in Wembley, and that was really strange to to go to that, and it was so strict. I was looking forward to it, but I mean, you know, it was masks and the rules were really strict, and I mean, I would lift my mask down just to have a sip of my drink, and someone was straight on to me. T- Put your mask on. Put your mask on. So it was hard. It was hard to enjoy it, and the, obviously the result went against us. So it was a bit strange. But um, yeah, I think it's a bit of a grey area at the moment because we've got obviously, like you said, like Scotland have got different rules in England and uh, and Wales. But it's difficult for us because we play in the English system. Um, so as I understand it, um, English teams are going to have full stadiums come August when the season starts. But we have a pre-season friendly, which will be our first sort of home test uh with the new rules and we're allowed eight thousand fans i believe so that's a bit of a test run um but i think when the season does start that we will still have reduced capacity of about eight thousand, and the uh the english teams will have full capacity at the stadiums um and some some we have we've had some pre-season games and we had one last week on tuesday i believe and they were allowed sort of 400 fans to travel um, to Plymouth to watch the preseason game, and then we had another one where they said away fans weren't allowed. And then we were supposed to have one this afternoon, which was cancelled because there were COVID cases in the in the Swansea squad. But they were allowing fans they they were allowing fans to travel. So I think it's just going to be a week on week basis where they're like, yeah, you can go, no, you can't go, and it, it's just still all up in the air for for Wales at the moment. Awesome. Uh, every once in a while, I like to listen to your guys' podcast on YouTube. That's the Swans Cast uh, folks here, Leek and Lee. And one of the most one of the one of the best ones you've had uh, was a very passionate response to 
an effort by these super teams in Europe to create their own league. And I was, yeah. I was just sitting there. I'm like, Oh my God, these guys are ready to jump. You had a couple guests <laughs> that were ready to jump off of your podcast, start heading down the streets with torches and pitchforks. Um, and I noticed I was one of your more popular as far as view counts uh, as well. Episodes. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar a little bit earlier this year, a bunch of the famous teams like Manchester United, etc., you know, Barcelona, they all tried to create uh, a Super League and the entire continent of Europe revolted against them. Um, yeah, that, that, was a, that was an interesting episode. It was one of your longer ones, but I listened to the whole thing. And um, uh, it's, it's, you guys are not going to take this lightly. You will not take it sitting down. That's congrats on behalf of fans who let uh, teams run over them all the time. Yeah. Definitely, and look, we we aren't really directly uh, affected by it because we're Swansea fans. We were never going to be involved. We're not in the Premier League now, so we wouldn't see the teams are leaving directly. We'd obviously have indirect effects. Who knows what they would have been? Something would have happened that we would have felt the consequence of. Um, so for us to be annoyed to that extent, you can only imagine how the fans of the clubs actually involved felt. And I know you said about marching down the street with pitch folks. It looked like we were maybe going to go and do that. But I believe Chelsea fans actually basically did um, to their stadium in one of their games and made a massive difference because they were the first team that ended up coming out and buckling and pulling out of it because uh, of the protests that they put on. So credit to them and all the other teams that helped and got involved and the fan bases around that. But yeah, um, I don't want to celebrate too prematurely though because I don't think it's over. I think... They'll find a, they'll try and find a way somehow. It's only the beginning. Um, yeah. When you look at the mess that Barcelona is in now, they still technically never pulled out, as far as I'm aware. They really need something to happen because they they literally have no money. They are they're screwed. So um, yeah, Rich and I talked about it on our podcast. There could be a push pull effect here, where they pushed for what they you know t- they knew they could never get, and maybe they'll pull down to something yeah. that's a little more. Absolutely reasonable. Yeah, I, I, that's that's the way that's the way I see it as well. I totally agree. It's definitely not over. They sort of they sort of like you said they push for the for the highest and then they'll sort of get an agreement somewhere in the middle. We've definitely not seen the back of it. And I, I listened to your guys' podcast as well after we did the um, hour one and, and you did one as well and it was really good. So it's not as good to get a, a different take on it as well. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I sort of yeah, it's a, it's a small victory at the moment, but we're waiting <laughs> for the time where it. Uh, it resurfaces. Yeah, I was going to say that I, I'm, I, I wonder about, you know, I, I saw that there were some changes coming to the to the UEFA Champions League that have been proposed by, I think it's the Juventus chairman who seems to be the ringleader of this whole this whole project, and. Um, and, and and is really pushing for it along with the Barcelona uh, chair, uh, you know, board as well. Um, and what's what's wild to me is is that a few of these teams that were invited stunk fifteen years ago or twenty years ago. Like you never would have, you know, in, in two thousand, you never would have invited Manchester City into anything. Yeah, and same thing with Tottenham. I mean, Tottenham was kind of a joke, right? The running joke they could never beat Arsenal, right? Like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for, Tottenham for, was the joke for, after they were invited. They were still a joke. <laughs> People were like, Tottenham in the Super League, like you're having a laugh. Yeah, I mean, so anyway, 
it's just interesting. And I was going to say one of the, like, I think the point I made on the co- podcast is one of the things that makes European football so appealing is the fact that theoretically, you know, you and your mates can go start a club and work your way up, up the, the thing yeah. and, and, and make it into, you know, something in the top, the top flight. Of course, that's kind of fanciful. It's, it's not very realistic, but I mean, you know, you've seen teams go from, you know, the third division up to the, up to the premier league before, and you've seen teams, um, what was it like Queens Park Rangers? I think they were in the premier league just a few years ago and now they're down in uh, league one or league two, just completely, you know, plummeted. And so, um, it's kind of it, it's it's kind of appealing, you know. As as an American, you know, we're we're supposed to be all about capitalism and and all about uh, you know uh, merit. And the, ironically, the Euro- European system is all about that. Um, and 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 the American, all the sports over here are franchises. So like, even if you stink forever, like say our Seattle Mariners, you you never get relegated down. You know, you just yeah, you get to stay up in the major leagues and make tons of money and stink and make your fans yeah, yeah. upset you and hate you. So. Um, Anyway, um, I, I was going to say that it, it, it blows up like the one distinct difference between the American sporting universe and the European. And I, I think one of the things that appeals so much to me about wanting to watch European soccer is is just the merit at the end of the year that you, you get to see new teams come in, into every league and you get to see the bad teams go away. So, yeah, yeah so they, they, they basically um, wanted to take, take it like a across the world, didn't they? So um, mm-hmm. they would have these massive teams that wouldn't necessarily always play in their own stadiums, I don't think, but they would have like had a match over in America. So all the American fans who were fans of Barcelona or whoever would just want to see them. They might not even be fans of them clubs. They can go and they probably charge twice as much and they probably charge twice as much for the programmes and the shirts and everything else. But everyone would probably buy it all because how often do you get to see a competitive Barcelona Manchester United match in the, in America yeah. you don't and you'd have like a 90,000 stadium or something sell it out a lot of money and TV rights massive so that's the idea that's I think what they were trying to aim for in the long run um, but yeah, yeah it's I think pff, does the novelty wear off if that's every year I don't know because you've got a lot of places you can go to yeah you, you could so. do it you could do it in Qatar the next year you could do it in yeah, yeah. you know yeah. Um, Whatever it's just greed. Wealthy countries, just greed. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that was the bedrock of of of, our, of well of, of all fans' anger. Really, was that teams were just getting invited in rather than earning it? Because at the time as well, they were obviously they were inviting Arsenal and Tottenham in every year, and at the time they were sort of mid-table in the Premier League. And you've got someone like Leicester, who were you know in in the Championship with us at, at one point. Who have now built and now they're sort of top four, top five, and obviously they wouldn't have had a look in. Whereas realistically, every season they're more likely to finish above Spurs and Arsenal at the moment. So I think that was the issue was the timing of it as well, where these clubs who were just automatically going in weren't necessarily showing that they deserve to be in there, and that was yeah. why. But again, I try, I try and keep an open mind. I think I can understand why owners would want to do it. Because it would it would generate money. I mean, like I said before, I, I like watching the NFL, so I, I love the different system of watching that. But then it's obviously hard to revert the systems when you've been used to yeah. one. It's hard to sort of flip it around. But yeah. But I think we discussed this last time we were on your podcast, and we were asking about like the system you use with a no relegation. 
and maybe part of the problem I think you were saying with the MLS is that it is just the one league and there's no promotion or relegation. Right. Yeah. There and there were that what you were saying last time. Yeah. Yeah. And they're running into a problem. We just don't have the you know the groundswell yet of you know uh, in in America really to have you'd have to have I don't know a hundred MLS level teams with a you know a twenty thousand person type stadium and you know a profitable franchise or maybe not a franchise but you know profitable team a club a built-out fan base that is inherent in, in the English fo- uh, soccer football, um, you know, ecosystem, right? Like every town has a club, every city has a club. And I mean, e- even in Scotland, which I mean, I mean, I'll, I'm not trying to make fun of Scotland, but like Scotland, there's just not a lot of people that live in Scotland, but like you look at the map of the Scottish football pyramid and they got like three leagues and there's, yeah, you know, like, you know, 10, 12 clubs uh, per league and they're, they're all over the place. Actually, and, let me, yeah. let me ask Luke and Lee about this because this is, we brought this up on one of our podcasts. Uh, what if Scotland were to collapse into the English premier league? What would you guys think about that? I mean, because obviously hard, Wales man. is part of it. It's, it's hard to do it now because, well, the only way you could do it in my view, fairly, they go start at the bottom and work their way up. How would you tell Celtic and Rangers you got to start at the bottom and work your way up. They they have an expectation, yeah. and they do ask the question, and this comes up every so often, where they want to do it. They just want to go straight into the Premier League. But, like, how do you then tell two clubs in a championship, yeah, only one of you is going up this year because Celtic and Rangers are coming into the league? It's just, it's just not – there's too many issues there for me. And wouldn't yeah. Scotland lose its automatic bid in uh, – uh, champ- uh, don't they get an automatic bid in one of the um- – European Champions League, yeah. yeah, yeah, they've got they to do, do qualifiers, yeah. I think, don't they? Or do yeah, they? they've they've got to qualify, but they get, I think, the winner of the league gets, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and the, the first qualifying round or something. Here, uh, here was my my thought: is that neither Celtic or Rangers are anywhere near good enough for the Premier League from just just looking at the players that they're they're bringing you, in. You, you kidding me? You don't think they could at least, at least be at the bottom of the table? No. No. no this, I mean, is, like, this is a this is a big debate when I don't know about this. Everybody's out in the <laughs> yeah, pub and they, they sort of debate, ask could could Celtic and Rangers do it? It's a massive topic when when anybody talks about football here. Well, but anyway, I, they all think they're like top four potential if you ask the fans of the well, clubs, but <laughs> I would argue lower Premier League, higher championship. I think that's where they are. Yeah, I was going to say that just looking at the players that have gone to those clubs from uh from mls which i like i know the players that have gone and they were average to above average um players on average to above average teams in major league soccer and then looking at like just the level of play in the premier league the speed of play and 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 having watched some some uh even like the good you know rangers and celtic watching some of their matches they're just not they're just not good enough all around. I just don't, I, I don't think that yeah, they would get, uh, I mean, it, it would be laughable. It'd be like sending a major league soccer team to the premier league. They just get absolutely how much hate mail I'm going to get now from the Scottish people. No, I, it's fine. I, I <laughs> I'm sending the hate I, mail your way. He, he lives in Lake Forest Park, Washington guys. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, this I, is, this is not a Scottish podcast. This is a Wales podcast. Yeah, and sure. I want to talk about Wales on this show. We do have a Welsh <laughs> premier league as well. 
um, <laughs> yeah. except that's oh. even worse, which is why oh, really? that's, <laughs> and that's some other clubs, Cardiff, uh, Newport, are all in the English league system <laughs> because... <laughs> Yeah, there's not much going on in the Welsh League. It's nice to go and see it, you know, yep. sometimes maybe if you're local to it, but right. it's, uh, it's, it's a bit rubbish. But there is quite a bit honest. going on in Wales, soccer, football, uh, what have you, and that's that you guys were in the Euros. Yeah. And you guys did well. Yeah, yeah. we've done all right. It's second year, second year, second time in a row we qualified because we went through a large period where we didn't get into any major tournaments, so... Uh, we, yeah, so just getting there would, would have been, uh, pretty neat. Uh, but you guys actually made it to the round of 16, right? Yeah. yeah. I think, I think we've, I think we've been a bit spoiled at the moment because especially for me and Luke, like our generation, we have never seen Wales qualify for a major tournament. I mean, Wales international team was a bit of a, a running joke. We, you know, we didn't get fans. It was, it was not good to watch at all. It was nothing. Fans we did get tried killing each other because it was Swansea and Cardiff fans. <laughs> yeah, there was that divide within the Welsh fan base. It just we couldn't get away from the club rivalry. Yeah, it's calmed down a bit now, thank God. Yeah, but uh, what, uh, so over here uh, in America, you know, we had we we put the games on television at the bars, and if you have some of the cable packages, you can get them. Um, and I never got to see any of the games uh, that Wales played in, uh, but. You know, uh, there are some famous people, uh, right? Gareth Bale's on that team, right? The yeah. Tottenham guy. Um, Aaron, Aaron Ramsey as well. Yeah. Ramsey. Where's he from? Uh, Juventus at the moment. Juventus, okay. Yeah. Was he on Liverpool for a long time? Arsenal. Uh-huh. Arsenal. Okay, my, my mistake. Red, red shirts. It's the red shirts. Yeah. So, yeah. so there are some stars that, that are on that team and are marketable. Um, uh did you guys, uh, we talked about punching, you know, above your weight class. Uh, was was that the case here or are they just actually good players and people weren't paying attention? It's definitely punching above our weight. The, you're right, though. They are really good players. The problem is international football is the peak, yeah, the, the top level. You, you're picking all the best players to play for the countries. Our squad's a bit half and half, so we got them players. We've got a couple of Premier League players. But then the other half of our squad... I suppose probably more than half the squad, probably five, 75% of the squad is taken from like championship league one. Um, and they're mixed in with these other players. So you get the likes of Gareth Bale, Adam Ramsey, you have a good game. They carry the other players to play better. So we had some Swansea players there, like Connor Roberts, uh, Ben Cabango was there this time. Uh, Joe Roden, who we saw last summer to Tottenham. Obviously he's Premier League now, but only like, what, 13, 14 games I think he played for them this season. So is a mixture of the star player like Gareth Bale, probably one of the best players in the world in his prime. Aaron Ramsey, same, um, or not the same class as Bale, but a high quality player. But then players who are not in the Premier League, in the Championship, and for a team that didn't even get promotion this year, you know, us, we didn't win the playoff final. Connor Roberts is our right back. So you're asking him to play against, and in our group games, we played against Italy, who ended up winning the tournament, and we only lost that game 1 0. But like, does that mean Connor Roberts is a right back capable of constantly playing in Serie A or against the, you know, Immobile, for example, Italy striker? Maybe he is, but at the moment he's in a league that's definitely lower quality. So you've got to look at it like that, and we're definitely punching above our weight. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't expect us to get out of the group stage with the group that we had. We had Italy and Switzerland and Turkey, who yeah. definitely had better squads across the board. 
Um, you know, I mean, obviously we've got Bale and Ramsey, but if you took those two out, our squad's not but, not good enough. Yeah, so I we think we've definitely been spoiled that. People... I don't know about Turkey. I mean, Turkey went into a bunker in the first like two minutes of their first match at the Euros. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, they were a dark horse before the tournament kicked off. <laughs> Somehow, yeah. I think I they were the biggest disappointment. Has a, has a lot of talent, but um, maybe the the sum is far less than the than the than its parts. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. Do you think the uh, Do you think the team from Wales had maybe they had uh, lesser talent if you look at them from a scorecard perspective, um, but maybe they had a better unity to them and a better uh, people knew people know their roles. Sometimes when they just do what's asked of them, that's you know better than putting. A bunch of superstars right now with american yeah. basketball we've lost to teams that we have no business losing to if you just look at talent across board the problem is our our team of superstars that play in the uh you know these all-stars none of them want to share the ball you know none of them want to pass to each other they think they're just going to go up and down the court and slam dunk every play and uh, a team like a team like nigeria has an actual team that's played together and they work with each other and, you know, uh, and end up taking yeah. out America. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely fair. I mean, the, the last Euros that we were in when we got to the semifinals, which was, which was crazy. It was, it was definitely just a, you know, you could feel that unity and it was just a momentum thing that just took us. I mean, we beat Belgium along the way and which we had no right to do. Like you said, they had all the superstars at the time and yeah. And it was literally just, it just all worked, whatever they did, no matter what players that they had. I mean, you looked at our starting 11 on paper and you just think, how are we getting this far in the tournament? <laughs> um, but yeah, like you said, it's, something was working. Whatever they were doing, there was a unity in the squad. Um, and, and it just seemed like the whole of Europe got behind Wales at that time as well, just because... Um, and the, and there's, a, there's a song, actually, a chant, just that Wales started in that Euros that now still continues. It's like, please don't take me home. <laughs> that, that just started from that and and, and fans fans across the country now in england and, and everyone sing it it was just like everybody got behind it and right. yeah i think you're right i think it's, you're better off having a team that that works and everybody does their job and maybe having one or two superstars in there that are quality rather than having a team of superstars definitely so you you yeah. have your you have your own team you have your own cultural pride with uh, that particular team i was curious because i don't know somebody asked me um, you know, would, would anybody else in the UK root for England in that match against Italy? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll have to ask somebody that lives over there. Uh, because I probably would say, screw them. <laughs> I'm going to root against them if I, so if I were you guys. Some people, some people would, but 90% of, uh, of us <laughs> would say no. Um, and it's, uh, it's very frustrating actually. So you got the fans, you got the media, um, the media, so for the coverage of the Euros, and I'll just explain why we get so irritated. So coverage of the Euros, bear in mind, we had Scotland and Wales also in the Euros, right? They're all part of the UK along with England. Um, the broadcast is being broadcast on BBC and another channel called ITV. Both channels are UK channels. They're not English channels. They cover all three of the nations. However, it doesn't matter what game you're watching in the Euros. Like It could be someone like... Spain against Italy or, I don't know, Slovakia against Ukraine. I'm, I'm just making names up, but it doesn't matter what games they are. At halftime, it's England. We've got to talk about England. How are England going to approach their next game? Why did England not beat Scotland? Like, what went wrong? Every single game. I'm not even joking. Before the match, halftime, after the match. I want to know about the match I'm watching. I don't want to know about England. I'm not here, but I'm not here for that. 
But the thing is, right, that's one thing. But then you've got to ask the question, why don't Wales and Scotland get the same coverage? We're all in the same country, technically. You're the channel that supplies all of us. So why are we not getting the same coverage? Why are you only talking about England? Um, yeah. You know, in the last tournament, Wales went the furthest out of, out of the home nations. I know they didn't this time, but that you only go as far back to the last tournament and then the last Euros, we did better than them. So why are we not getting the same coverage? I'm not saying that we should have that because no team should have that. I want to talk about the team that's playing right now. And then you've got the fans. I don't know if you heard the song, It's Coming Home, that they just sing all the time, sure. which I think has become a little bit of a meme now against them rather than for them <laughs> because obviously Italy won, so everyone's changed it to It's Coming Rome, even as far as the players, <laughs> the players for Italy. You've got like... Uh, the Denmark players like are happy that England lost because of the dive in the in the in the um in the box for the how they lost. Um it just seems that everyone something seems to happen, whereas the fans, the media, the players, everyone just finds something that annoys them about England all the time. Like everyone. So, everyone wants them to lose. It's definitely <laughs> a main reason with the um with the coverage with the media. But it's just it's sometimes it's the arrogance as well. I mean yeah. Sometimes the the media portrays that they've already won the tournament, um, and right. no, and it definitely in sport, nobody likes to see. Well, everybody loves to see the the big team get beaten, don't they? The team that thinks they're going to win, they love yeah. to see them lose, and that that's definitely what just gets portrayed to Scotland and and Wales as well. Like we were watching the the Spain and Italy semi final, which was arguably oh, the best game of football. Yeah, the, it's probably the best game of football I've seen in ages. It was such a good game and. And Rio Ferdinand, who used to play for England, said, oh, you know, England are going to beat both of these teams easily. We have got nothing to worry about. We're going to beat these teams. And they hadn't even won their semi-final yet. So yeah. <laughs> they're just setting themselves up to for everybody to want them to lose. And to put it into perspective, when they got to the final, in, in, in my home, we had a, an Italian party with Italian shirts and, <laughs> and Italian food and Italian beer. And it was just... <laughs> and that's, that's, awesome. that, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah all right we're getting towards the end of the show but i just wanted to ask luke and lee um what, what's your what's your expectations for next year for uh swansea city and um uh there with all this tr with turnover um being the only constant i guess you know for for a team at the championship level what um what what would you expect next year uh of them is this going to be you're going backwards you're just treading water you're going to Make it to the Premier League. What's your yeah. pre-season really, assessment? Really hard question to answer right now because we don't know who the manager is. We don't know what the team's going to look like. Like There needs to be more sign-ins, but we don't know who's still leaving. Hard question to answer. But for me, I think it's a transition season, a season where we need to find some stability now again. Um, not that we haven't had to do that a couple of times in the last couple of years, but I'd be happy to maybe just be competitive in mid-table right now. After everything has happened, which is a massive drop off from where we were maybe the last two years. I'm not saying we can't do better, but I'm concerned we could do worse. So I'd be happy with um, the transition season where we'll have some good results and then some results are looking so good. Be a bit hit and miss like that and finish somewhere in the middle and then start building on that. I feel like that's kind of where we've got ourselves into in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, definitely. I just yeah, I totally agree with that. I think the natural progression should be that we could be looking for promotion now on the back of the last two seasons, but it always seems to be like one step forward and two steps back with us at the moment. So I yeah, I definitely just take mid 
table obscurity at the moment. Just just have a stable season. I guess Lee and Luke, what um, what would you like? You had mentioned that there's some some youth kids that need to be um, given some seasoning. You know, so you, you, I think the term you used was blooded, means uh, getting getting you know some playing time. Like, is this is this a youth development season? Like trying to get them integrated into the with the veterans? Yeah, it might have to be, um, but there's not an awful load of them that I'm fully aware of that are ready to make that step. It's probably one centre-back in uh, Brandon Cooper and Ollie Cooper, who's like a central attacking midfielder. They both were in around the first team last year. There's been a bunch of them that Steve Cooper, before he left, introduced to the pre-season training and friendlies this year. But that's the first we've kind of seen of them. So I'm not sure how much they can be like integrated to become first team players in a season but then depending on how much or little we sign there might not be another option so that's where the concern is really because the depth is slim in every year it seems well, yeah, no, uh, are there are there any more players that you can lend us for a period we won't injure them this time <laughs> Seattle, Seattle are doing Seattle are doing very well at the moment yeah. So if, they, if you could lend us some players, that would be great. Um, we, we actually had to make some emergency signings for our yeah. midweek game on Thursday night. Okay. From our, from our second team, um, we have a you know we have a first team roster limit, but if you are missing enough outfield players, you're allowed to sign up to a certain number. So we we actually started five teenagers on Thursday night. Uh, was that Danny Leva? Um, yeah, we yeah it was it was it was Danny Leva and uh, Josh Atencio and company. Um, we had a sixteen, we had uh, a nineteen year old, two eighteen year olds, a sixteen and a fifteen year old. Wow! And seven seven of our players were in a cat were academy products. So wow! I yeah. actually I actually watched a bit of that game the other day. It was against Austin, wasn't it? And yeah, it was it was the the Diaz goal was oh yeah, goal, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. yes. It, it, well, it was perfect for me because I, I was off work this week. I had a nice week off work. So I managed because it's late on in the night for us. So I was watching a bit of the Olympics as well. And, and that was on as well. So I managed to see that goal. So that was brilliant. Yeah, right <laughs> I mean, a, a brilliant goal. But like the, the bigger thing was that the, the kids, the kids just shut down yeah. um, Austin, which, which has a, a very solid team. They just don't have um, a striker that can put the ball in the back of the net. So yeah. we, yeah, we took but, advantage of their, uh, their misfortune, I guess. So I, uh, I like to end our show uh, with a positive note. It's a typical thing we do here, and that's uh, with a shout out. And uh, I just want to uh, go around go around the table here, and also Luke, Luke Lee, I need you to promote your your podcast as well. Um, so, Rich, do you have any shout outs this week? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a shout out. Um, well, a both to to both of you gentlemen for for spending so much time talking about uh, swans with us. It's it's I, I've enjoyed uh, we've done this twice now and I've really really enjoyed just yeah. your your passion and and how well you explain things that we uh, in, in simple terms for us uh, you know if we if we don't understand it so thanks for that but just a quick a quick shout out to uh, the Sounders Academy for producing such top end talent that can uh, step in for a a maimed <laughs> a maimed first place team that can't even get <laughs> enough we had to twelve outfield players so uh, anyway that's my shout out. <laughs> Uh, Luke Lee, shout outs for you guys. Only you go first this time. I first last time. So. <laughs> I, yeah, fair enough. I'll give. Uh, I, well, I was going to give a shout out to Ronnie, but I think I'll leave that one to you, Luke. Um, <laughs> I'll give a shout out to my friends Andrew and 
Natasha, who are also expecting a baby any minute now. So uh, I'll give a shout out to them for some good luck. It's great. Very nice. Luke? Oh, yeah, of course. I'll, I'll give a shout out to Ronnie, who's going to be the uh, newest member of the Jack Army. When he's a bit older, <laughs> we'll take him down to see his yeah. first game. But I wanted to just mention, on a sporting context, I um, don't know if you follow much motorsport or Formula One, but um, a little bit of humidity um, from Sebastian Vell after the British Grand Prix on the weekend. The fans leaving all the rubbish in the stands. Actually, as a multi-millionaire Formula One racing driver, stayed behind to do some litter picking and clean up the stands because he does push a lot of environmental um, stuff to, you know, help the world. And it's nice to see someone that you think sometimes lives a different life to you doing something so basic as just picking up some litter. Right on. Uh, and what's what's your what's your website? What's your okay? Uh, yeah, so you can find us on YouTube. Uh, just type in Swanscast and you find us there. And we're also on Spotify as well. Uh, we got two different sort of feeds. So that's Swanscast podcast and Swanscast match day. And then our most interactive uh, social media is Twitter, where we are Swanscast Media. So you can find us on all those places. And you also have a uh, uh, you also have the uh, rugby coverage too, right? Yeah, we did Six Nations, which is, again, it's on our YouTube channel. Um, that's the, that's a yearly event, so that won't be till next February now. We did do some things on the Lions, but we haven't really had time to do the tour that they've been doing this time. But sometimes we touch on the rugby, yeah, so maybe in the autumn we'll get back to some of that. Excellent. My, my big shout-out this week, of course, is to the olympic uh athletes the and also people still putting it on uh i realize there's a lot of controversy in putting this on and pushing this uh, to go forward but uh i'm gonna i'm gonna have positive thoughts and i'm gonna say we're gonna get through this covid's not gonna take us out uh you know everybody's getting vaxxed up and uh that's that's we're, we're moving on and it's good that we're starting to work with each other as a society rather than pointing fingers and blaming like we did earlier throughout the pandemic uh, so it's great that we're all getting on the same boat and moving forward with our sports and uh go team usa and if wales has a team go team wales too um. <laughs> in gb it is for us okay <laughs> all right we'll see you guys next time on the seattle sports union podcast see you soon Thank you.